We are in Hebrews chapter 9. We are not going to finish it. But uh, in fact, we're not going to be in Hebrews for too long. And we're going to look at some of the things that he refers to. So if you're up there on Facebook today, you have an inkling of what we're getting into. If not, then you don't. Uh, Verse 6 of chapter 9, we'll start off with here. Now, when these things had been thus prepared, the priest always went into the first part of the tabernacle performing the services. So last time he was talking about the tabernacle, the different pieces that were there. And of course, this this um, template, this uh, uh, building came from heaven. So there's a tabernacle in heaven and it was brought on, on down here that God uses the things that are built down here on the earth to teach us about things that are in heaven. The things that are in heaven, which is interesting to think about, the things that are in heaven were not created. They always have been. But the things down here on earth were. God had put those things. I guess at some point he may have uh, spoke them into existence, but it, it's heaven. This is where, where God is. So God's taking those things that are eternal and showing us about them by the things that are down here that are temporal. Not only with the tabernacle, also with the trees. You know, there's trees in heaven. So the trees in heaven don't, don't go anywhere. Trees down here do. They eventually die and, and uh, fall to decay. But not so in heaven. So, verse 7. But into the second part, the high priest went alone once a year. So we had the outer court. We had the inner part, the, the holy place. And then the holy of holies, which is this part. Into the second part, the high priest went alone once a year. Only the high priest could enter in. Only once a year did he go. Not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit indicated this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was standing. So as long as that first tabernacle that was built was here, the way into the Holy of Holies was not demonstrated, was not here. Until that one went away, which of course it didn't. The Holy Spirit indicated this, that the way into the Holy of Holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. It was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to conscience. Concerning only with foods and drinks and various washings and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of reformation. But Christ came as high priest of good things to come. And that good. The things we had before. Not as good as the things that are to come. With the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of this creation. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but of his own blood, he entered the most holy place. Once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serving the living God. Now, there's things we can get into in this part of Hebrews. We're only going to really focus on this one part. Every time that Jesus is referred to in the prophetic writings, he's referred to as the what of God? The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Lambs are the most prominent part of the sacrifices that the children of Israel would, would bring. We talk about the lamb a lot. The bulls were very prominent as well. Some other animals would be in there. But here he doesn't focus on the lamb at all. He focuses on the bull, 
and the goat. Now the bull was made sacrifice here for the sins of Aaron or the high priest at that time. The goat was the focal point in this passage. There is only one day of the year that a goat was ever offered as a sacrifice. And that day is the Day of Atonement. No other time was a goat ever brought in for sacrifice. No other time was a goat asked for for sacrifice. The only day is the Day of Atonement. So when he brings in the goat as a sacrifice, what he is bringing in is to the forefront of this picture is the Day of Atonement. Because that is the only time that this was would be done. He's also talking about the day in which the priest would come into the holy place. That would only occur on the Day of Atonement. So his focus here is on the Day of Atonement. So before we get into much else, we figure we better go over the Day of Atonement so we are familiar with the Day of Atonement. I'm sure that if we polled a lot of Christians and you asked them about the Day of Atonement, they could probably name one or two aspects of the day, but probably we wouldn't really be familiar with them all. So let's get familiar with them. Find out what this is about the Day of Atonement. Now, this uh, I put this in your outline here for you. The day does not begin with the Day of Atonement activities. When the Day of Atonement came on, you didn't start the day with the Day of Atonement activities. You start the day the way you did normally, with the normal morning sacrifices that the priest would bring. So this is the way we would start the day just like any other. <clears throat> after these regular duties, after all the regular duties were done by the priest, the high priest would begin the ceremonies of the Day of Atonement. We're going to find this over in Leviticus chapter 16 and verse 1. Now, the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of his two sons of Aaron. This goes back to, I believe, chapter 10. But after the death of his two sons, the two sons of Aaron, when they offered profane fire before the Lord and died, and the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at just any time into the holy place under the veil, before the mercy seat, which is on the ark, lest he die. For I will appear in a cloud above the mercy seat. Thus Aaron shall come into the holy place with the blood of a young bull as a sin offering and of a ram as a burnt offering. He shall put the holy linen tunic and the linen trousers on his... Did I give you the wrong one? No. Okay. (laughs) Excuse me about that. I should... Meant to put Leviticus, not numbers. It is Leviticus. So just cross that out and put Leviticus in there. Mine says Leviticus. <laughs> I obviously made the mistake on yours. <laughs> Leviticus 16, for all those that are confused by the outline there. Thus Aaron shall come into the holy place with the blood of young bull as a sin offering and of a ram as a burnt offering. He shall put the holy tun- linen tunic and the linen trousers on his body. He shall be girded with a linen sash and with a linen turban he shall be attired. These are holy garments. Therefore, he shall wash his body in water and put them on. The first thing that would happen here for the Day of Atonement is the priest would remove his normal priestly garments. Now, the normal priestly garments, this guy looks like a king. The high priest looks like royalty with everything he had on, all the gemstones and all the gold and all the purple and all the all the attire. He looked decked out. When you saw the high priest, you knew he was somebody special. In fact, some people could very easily mistake him as a king because of the way he was dressed up. So he was very well adorned. So before you would start the Day of Atonement, the first thing that the high priest would do is he would come in and he would take off his high priest garment. That would be gone. And he would put on 
uh, a linen linen trousers they're called a linen sash and the the, the linen linen shirt or, or garment over top and this is what he'd come in so what would happen and also the um, the head would be adorned with with linen so he would go from looking spectacular to looking extremely ordinary and this was done every every time and this was considered to be a very holy garment so when they put on this linen this is all this thing did one time a year you would wear this this cloth that's it. So you put it away for all the other ones. One time a year, you're bringing this thing out and you're wearing it. And you would come in and you would look, go from looking like royalty to looking like a peasant. Looking like a servant in a household. It was just extremely plain. And the reason for this is probably because you are in the, in the presence of the people. The high priest is to look like someone special. This is the one they were supposed to come to. But in the presence of God. They were just anyone else. They would come into the presence of God adorned with nothing special. And that was the first thing that they were supposed to do. Verse, verse 5, we get to the next, but let's go back to verse 3 because this uh, has some of it. Thus Aaron shall come into the holy place with the blood of a young bull as a sin offering and of a ram as a burnt offering. He shall put the holy linen tunic and the linen trousers on his body and he shall be girded with a linen sash and with linen turban he shall be attired. These are holy garments. Therefore he shall wash his body in water and put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats as a sin offering and one ram as a burnt offering. So after he would put on this, these garments he would then go out and get the necessary sacrificial animals. He needed a bull for his own sin offering. Remember uh, Hebrews talks about that the high priest we have now doesn't need to make sacrifice for his own sin. That was not the case in the Old Testament. The high priest needed to make sacrifice. And so before he would start all this, he would get a bull offering to offer for his own sin. Not for any of the people. This is for his own sin. And two male goats for the people's sin offering. Two rams. One for Aaron and the other for the people's burnt offering. So in verse 6, Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house. So Aaron was supposed to offer the bull. This is the high priest. In this particular case, it's Aaron. He would, uh, he would offer the bull as a sin offering for himself and make atonement for himself and for his house. So it was important also that his house be, be done. But of course, himself is mentioned and then for his house. He shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the tabernacle of meeting. Then Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat on which the Lord's lot fell and offer it as a sin offering. Now, whenever they weren't going to make a decision on something or wanted God to make the decision, they would cast lots for it. And so they have two of them. They cast lots and the one that uh, would be picked for the Lord, you die. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it. And to let it go as a scapegoat into the wilderness. And Aaron shall bring the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house, and shall kill the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself. Then he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from the altar before the Lord, with his hands full of sweet incense beaten fine, and bring it inside the veil. And he shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord, and the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the testimony lest he die. Now before we saw very clearly that the altar of incense is on 
the access side for uh, of the veil. Here it almost sounds like that for this day it is moved to the other side. Now here's the purpose of it. Is what we would do is we would put on incense and there's a special recipe of incense they would have and they would put that on and they may move. He, he had to do this by himself because no one else can come in and do this for them. He may move it to the other side of the veil. They pull the veil aside. He's the only one in. No one else is allowed in during any of these ceremonies. They might be another day. He's not today. Today this is just the high priest. So he can open up the veil and he can move the the uh, the altar in there which it would seem like that's what's going on. The purpose here was to create a smoke screen that the altar or the uh, the um, Ark of the Covenant would be covered with smoke to um, uh, cover up the presence of God. I heard one person say uh, who was describing these activities that it's almost like when you go out and you would smoke a beehive. It'd be that kind of a thing. You're out there and you're, you're smoking and creating a smoke cloud. Now we get all the bees just to calm down and, and um, not be quite so uh, bee-like. <laughs> so they would create a cloud of incense in the Holy of Holies covering the mercy seat to veil the glory of God before he could enter. Of course, the lots were taken for the two goats. Let's pick up at verse 14. Verse 14, he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the mercy seat on the east side. And before the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. So do you have that picture you can throw up? This again is just to remind you, this is the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant coming up here. So we got the, the two angels, two cherubims up over here with their wings. The mercy seat, in case it's not clear, is the lid. And some people actually have pictures of Jesus sitting on the mercy seat. But this is, this is the mercy seat. The mercy seat is said to cover the Ark of the Covenant. And it was to cover it perfectly. So it's being exactly the same size. So if you're looking for a seat in there and never found one, wonder where it is, this is the mercy seat. This whole section, that whole flat area that the angel sat upon, that is called the mercy seat. So what he would do is he would come in and he would take the blood of the bull which he had already sacrificed and he would bring that blood in and he would sprinkle that blood up on top of the mercy seat. That was the first duty that he, that he did when he came in. And that was the blood that was to cover his sin. So let's read that again. He shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger. So you've got to dip your fingers into the blood and then sprinkle it on the mercy seat on the east side. And before the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Now, if you sprinkle it on the east side, I believe that would put it here. On, on, on the front side. I believe that's what it, would, what it would be. The entire tabernacle faced east to west. Not north to south. It faced east to west. And uh, some of that might be depicting uh, how far God removes sin from us. As far as the east is from the west. That may be the, uh, the aspect of it that would be done. Because, of course, that's what the uh, whole tabernacle was in, endeavoring to do. The far end, the east end of it, would have the, the, the bronze altar. 
and this is where the sin was, was paid for, then you have the Holy of Holies, which is where sin was supposed to be uh, gone from. So that might be the, the typology there. I don't think I got into that last time. So he shall take some of it, blood and, of the bull, and sprinkle it with his finger on the mercy seat on the east side, and before the mercy seat he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall kill the goat of the, of the sin offering, which is for the people. Bring its blood inside the veil. Do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bull and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and before the, before the mercy seat. So this is the goat of the people's sin offering. This was sacrificed. So what you've got a picture of here is that he does not go into the Holy of Holies one time. He goes in and he first smokes the place out. Then he enters in bringing the blood because I imagine first off, he, uh, he came in and set up the, the, the smoke screen. And while that's going on, he may then go outside. Don't know that for sure, but it would seem like he would then go outside and get the blood of the bull and bring that in and then enter into the Holy of Holies and then come up to the mercy seat and sprinkle the blood. Well, you don't make any sacrifices in here. So now the goat has to be sacrificed. So then he would once again leave the Holy of Holies and he would leave the, uh, the, the other, um, the inner, the, the holy place, and then go back out into the courtyard and then make the sacrifice of the goat. Then he's going to take some of the goat's blood and he's going to bring it back through the, uh, the holy place into the holy of holies. I would imagine that this whole time the veil is open. But I don't know that for sure. But I would imagine that this whole time the veil is open. Never found anything on that. Nobody seemed to make mention of it. You know, I, you, I look up a lot of the uh, uh, Jewish sites on this because they're the folks who are going to know what to, what's done. I don't know what's done. So I look up their sites and see what their uh, history tells us about what was going on. So then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people. The other one was for him. This is for the people. Bring its blood inside the veil do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bull and sprinkle on the mercy seat before the mercy seat. So we're, come, we're again coming into the mercy seat. We're sprinkling blood on it. This time it's the blood of the goat. It's already got the blood of the bull on it. Now he's sprinkling some of the blood of the goat. <clears throat> All right, verse 16. So he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions for all their sins and so he shall do for the tabernacle of meeting, which remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness. There shall be no man in the tabernacle of meeting when he goes in to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out, that he may make atonement for himself and for his household and for all the assembly of Israel. So he goes in, makes atonement for himself, comes back out as a clean high priest, makes a sacrifice for the people, then goes in and presents that blood before the before the Lord. <clears throat> Verse 14. He shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the mercy seat. We just we just read that part, didn't we? Yeah, that's a, okay, there we go. So he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions for all their sins. And so he shall do for the tabernacle meeting, which remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness. So not only are we making the people clean, we're also making the place clean. That interesting. There's just the, the places involved. There shall be no man in the tabernacle meeting when he goes in to make the atonement in the holy place until he comes out, 
that he may make atonement for himself, for his household, and for all the assembly of Israel. Now he does, I make this note, it's in my, my outline, not yours. The atonement of the holy place is done alone without anyone present to help or to watch. No one's in there to see what's going on. Now we're not in heaven to see all this goes on either. We just, we just read about it, we just hear about it. Verse 18, And he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it, and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. Then he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times, cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. So again, the blood of the, of the, of the bull is representative of whose sins being forgiven? The high priest. The, the blood of the goat? The people. And we need both of them to go out there and to sanctify the altar. And once a year, the altar is sanctified. Once a year, the um, holy place is sanctified. Then he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger, seven times cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. So all the things that the children of Israel would do had an effect upon the place, not just upon them. Verse, uh, verse 20. And when he has made an end of atonement for the holy place, the tabernacle of meeting and the altar, he shall bring the live goat. So after all the atonement is made, after the goat is killed, and the atonement is made for the place and for the people, then we'll go out there and we get the live goat. Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat, confess over it all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions concerning all their sins, putting them on the head of the goat, and shall send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man. The goat shall bear on itself all their iniquities to an uninhabited land, and he shall release the goat in the wilderness. So the goat, this is the scapegoat. There's a, some people use the Hebrew name of this, it's the Hebrew word for that, and they put that, I even sell shirts with, with that. I forget what it was called, I didn't write it down, but it's, uh, it's not a hard word to remember or even pronounce, but anyway, they would use this, and they tried to signify a lot of different things to this. So in, the, in this, what is the scapegoat, and what is the, the Lord's goat? What do they represent? And how do they, because we, we know that Jesus Christ is involved in this thing, so which, which one is Jesus? What about the bull? Is that representing the blood of Jesus? You've got a lot of questions that can, that can come up with these sort of things. So here's what you got. The, the, the blood of the scapegoat, or the blood of the goat who was killed, represents the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross that was shed for the people. That his body was, uh, was killed. He went through a physical death and his blood from that is what cleansed us from all sin. Now, after that death was done, does the Word of God tell us anything that happened to Jesus Christ after that? He went down into hell. And this is after what? He's up on the cross. And he lets out, the only thing that he cried out for was after God put all the sin of the people on Jesus. And shortly after that, he died. 
and his physical life was extinguished. But then he went down into hell. The symbolism here is that the first goat represents the physical death of Jesus Christ. The second is the spiritual death. The second couldn't be achieved until the first one was done. The first one had to be done first, which is the physical death. So nothing happens to the second goat until the first goat is killed. So then the first goat is killed. And upon the second goat is put all of the sins. Aaron would come up, lay hands on that second goat and put all of the sin upon that goat. And they would put the goat in the care of a suitable man who would then lead all those sins into a deserted place. And where did Jesus go? It wasn't a deserted place, (laughs) but it was a desolate place. It was hell. He took all of the sins of the world and carried them down into hell. But when he came out, those sins weren't there anymore. He came out of the deserted place. And that's where the Messiah comes in that's a little bit different from from this uh, typology here. Can you see the, the two deaths? Some people want to say that, the, you know, um, they try and get a, a, a different... I heard one place called the second goat Satan, Lucifer. He represented Lucifer. He does not represent Lucifer. Lucifer is not involved in any of this sort of stuff. Even though he may, may be the one who brought sin into this world, doesn't make any difference about that. This is about man. It's about taking care of that. So Jesus Christ took all those sins down into a deserted place and he left them there. And God raised him up without those, those sins. You see, he had never sinned, so it never ha- could get a hold of him. So therefore, he could carry them on down and drop them off in there. And that's why he had to go down into hell. There's a lot of people have a hard time with Jesus going down to hell. Where else do you want your sins to go? You want him to go right straight to heaven? Take all those sins with him? We don't want sin in heaven. <laughs> Took all those sins right down to the pit of hell, the heart of the earth. And they would be they would be taken care of that way. So there's there's what we have this typology going on. No lambs involved here, just goats. Verse twenty three. Then Aaron shall come into the tabernacle of meeting, and shall take off the linen garments which he put on when he went into the holy place, and shall leave them there. And he shall wash his body with water in a holy place, put on his garments, come out and offer his burnt offering, and the burnt offering of the people. And make atonement for himself and for the people. And I assume this is where the ram comes in. The ram uh, uh, offering. But he does that as a high priest. He doesn't do that as the, uh, with, the, with the linen. Those things come off first. Verse 25. The fat of the sin offerings he shall burn on the altar. So earlier the sacrifice of the bull and the goat were completed. The fat of the sin offering was burned on the altar. And the remains of the bull and the goat were taken outside the camp where they were, where they were burned. We'll see this here. Let's, uh, let's read that. Verse 26. And he who released the goat as a scapegoat shall wash his clothes. So the person who took the scapegoat out and released it, he's going to come back, wash his clothes, and bathe his body in water. And afterward, he may come into the camp. The bull for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall be carried outside the camp. And they shall burn in the fire their skins, their flesh, and their offal. Then he, then he who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water. And afterward he may come into the camp. 
So apparently, after he got done burning up, whatever rem- remnants are there, whatever blood may have spl- splattered out, whatever smoke may still be in there, everything had to be taken care of. So he shall, he, shall, he who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterward he may come into the camp. Put in your outline there, those who had been rendered unclean by handling the animals on which the sins of Aaron or the people were laid were to wash themselves and then return to the camp. Of course, according to the Levitical law, you made unclean for, for doing some of those things. Now, the people didn't just stand by and watch. There were things they had to do as well. Verse 29, This shall be a statute forever for you. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your souls and do no work at all, whether a native of your own country or a stranger who dwells among you. So it don't matter. If you came into Israel on the Day of Atonement, either you are going to comply or you are going to get out. That's basically it. And they let you know if you were coming in on the Day of Atonement. Now look, we got the Day of Atonement coming up. We don't care what you worship. We don't care where you come from. If you're going to be here on the Day of Atonement, this is what you're doing. And if not, <laughs> we will kill you. Hmm. They were, they were certainly serious about this. At least for a while they, they were. I'm sure when they started worshiping all the idols and all the other things going on that this kind of went by the wayside. For on the day that the priest shall make atonement for you to cleanse you, that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest for you, and you shall afflict your souls. It is a statute forever. Now, afflict your souls, you know, what in the world does that mean? You're supposed to be uh, humbling yourself, be in remembrance of what is being done for you. That just as the high priest went from a place of great looking garbs to a place of plain and ordinary, you got to remember, folks, before God the Father, if the high priest is plain and ordinary, what are you? Don't, don't think of yourself so highly. Don't think of yourself so good that you can just be before God and uh, everything's cool. <laughs> no, you are a sinner. <laughs> and it's because of the blood of others that you are even alive. So that's a, just a time to be thinking about this. That atonement has been made for you. That all the death that's going on here this day really should have been you. But it's not. Because others have, have taken that on. And your sins were put upon another one. The scapegoat. And that scapegoat carried them off into, into such places. Then he shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary. And he shall make atonement for the tabernacle of meeting. And for the altar. And he shall make atonement for the priest and for all the people of the assembly. This shall be an everlasting statute for you to make atonement for the children of Israel for all their sins once a year. And he did as the Lord commanded. So the people aren't passive here. They're involved during the entire day. They're supposed to be uh, thinking about what is going on here. They're supposed to be humbling themselves. I, I saw in one place, this is the, uh, uh, one of the times that they would have a fast I didn't find that in the passage here, but I think there's some other parts in Leviticus that refer to that, and I neglected to bring them over here with me. But uh, that there was to be a time of fast. They treated it, the Day of Atonement, whenever it fell, it was treated as a Sabbath. And they were commanded to remember this ordinance as a permanent statue. I'm sure I got all those. So the Day of Atonement is the cleansing of a place and of a people. It was a, once a year, the place and the people were cleansed. 
by a high priest who first off had to go in and make atonement for himself. So in all this, he is showing us Jesus Christ doesn't have to do that. Our high priest before, and all the typology that is going on with this, our high priest that we had before, he had to make atonement for himself before he could get involved in anything. He had to make sure that he himself was clear, was, was uh, pure before God. And then after that, he would come out and he would make that sacrifice. But we now have a high priest. You don't have to do that. He doesn't have to, to, to go before that. The high priest that we had in the Old Testament, he went into a place that constantly became covered with the sins of the people. And every year they had to come out and clean that out. Every year they had to come out and clean that up. They had to come out and they cleaned up the altar. Came out and they cleaned up the Ark of the Covenant. The holy place. All of that. Because it was here on the earth. And it became covered with all their sins. And once a year they, they clean all that. But we now have a high priest who is in the tabernacle. That is not affected by our sins. It doesn't have to be cleansed. It doesn't matter what we do down here. It's not getting dirtied. It doesn't matter what we do down here. He, as our high priest, is not getting dirtied. He doesn't have to go in and keep doing this every single year. Because what he did one time is enough to clean us for good. He was the eternal scapegoat. He died physically for us. And he died spiritually for us. And that's what they would do. So every year, they would go through and do this. Now, if you know the, the, the holidays they have, they would, of course, have the um, uh, Passover and then the first fruits and unleavened bread. And they had a lot of holidays all kind of ganged up together. And then they would have a long break all through the summer while they were harvesting and, and uh, doing work in the crops and stuff like that. And then they would have the remaining feasts. I think there was three of them that would have at the end of the end of the season. Trumpets, um, atonement, and then uh, tabernacles. And these are the ones that would, would come in and they would uh, insinuate other things. But what Jesus did on the cross, we think of very often as the Lamb of God. And we think of the Passover. And we think of the things that are involved with, with that. But the Day of Atonement is very much involved in what Christ did. Even though there was many months in between the two feasts, the Day of Atonement is very much involved. He was the Lamb, but He was also the Goat. But he was both goats. He was the goat who spilled his blood. And he was the boat, goat who carried away our sins. And he did, did both to a remote place. So every, every time, every year that David Atonement would come, the children of Israel would see that goat go off and be carried away into a distant land. Now when they're wandering around the wilderness, where did they take it? That was probably a different place all the, all the time. And then they're wandering around the wilderness. And I, I saw some people writing some things on some of the sites I was looking at to get information on this, you know, how they, how they all looked at this. And they were saying, what would be the reaction of the children of Israel if they ever came upon one of those goats? <laughs> and they, they were writing things like they would, they would make sure whoever, a suitable person was someone who knew how to take this goat to a place that that goat was not finding his way back. <laughs> He's not going to find his way on, on back. He's a... Uh, Now, eventually that goat would die out there in the wilderness. But um, I don't know. I think goats survive pretty well out there in the, in the wilderness. They, they eat all kinds of stuff. They seem to be around that kind of 
terrain a lot, so I don't think the idea was for him to just waste away and become nothing, but that he would go out there and he would, he would carry them out. Jesus Christ did the same thing. But after however long it was that God decided whether he was in there, I guess he was there the whole three days, and then he's pulled out. Glory to God. <laughs> Sin stayed behind. But he, um, he came out. Bring it over to the New Testament. 1 John chapter 1, verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Just skipped around my spot there. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. People want to go around today, I don't need a Savior. I don't have any sin. He says right there, real clear. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now notice how he phrases that. We deceive ourselves. No one else came along and did it. We deceived ourselves. Which means every single person born on this earth, no matter how much they are against God or the things of God, has at some point deceived themselves to believe they didn't need a Savior. They can't get before God and say, well, somebody else told me this and I believed it. No, you had to deceive yourself. Because everybody knows I'm falling short. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. But in verse 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is exactly what happened in the passage we just read. Because as you made confession of the sins that you knew, there was forgiveness extended for the sins that you did in ignorance, as the Leviticus puts it. But there were sins that we did in ignorance. But as long as you confessed the ones that you did, that you knew, then the ones you did in ignorance were wiped away. And the same concept is right here. Confess what you know and just know that the blood of Jesus Christ, just as it did in the Old Testament, washes us clean. Don't let the enemy come up and say, well, you know there's some sin. No, if you have sin that comes up before you, you just confess it. That's what we need to do. Just confess it. And we're, we're clean. They had to wait to the day of atonement for the priest to come in to make atonement for all those sins to be forgiven, to be wiped, wiped away. We don't have to. We can have a day of atonement anytime we need one. God, I made, made some sin here. And just like in the Day of Atonement, all of the unconfessed sins, all the things you didn't know about, wiped out, taken care of. Glory be to God for that. So this is the Day of Atonement. Probably not one of the more common holidays that we, of the Jewish uh, calendar that we, we look at or even think all that often about. It was, of course, a very bloody day. It was a, it was a very different day for them. And all things were focused around what was going on with the Day of Atonement. Everything focused on this. Everything else stopped. This became a Sabbath. And we focused on, they even gathered around the tabernacle to watch the priest do the things that he was doing. 
and to be mindful of, of what had gone on. That this was important. And God says, I want all work to stop. I want you guys just to be focused here and to think about the atonement that has been made. Theirs was done this year and they said, alright, well that'll be good until next year. <laughs> but we, we don't have to we don't have to look at that. This is all a type of Christ. This is another aspect of what Christ would do. But predicted the physical and spiritual death of Jesus Christ. That it would come. Both were necessary in order for everything to be done. Just as in the Old Testament. Both were necessary. You needed two goats. One to die and one to live. One to be banished and one whose blood was sprinkled. Father, we thank you for the day of atonement that we walk in. That Jesus Christ has atoned for all of our sin. We thank you for it. We thank you that his blood that he shed on that day is the blood that is sprinkled on the mercy seat. And we thank you, Father, that the goat that was carried into the wilderness to a desolate place, that all of our sin was put upon that goat, that Jesus Christ took all of our sin and took it to the inner part of the earth and left it there in hell, where it can not come back and do us any harm. We thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.